Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. All right, uh, open up your Bibles. It's also going to be on the screen. You know, I'm trying something new. It's going to be on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles, uh, open up your Bibles. Mark chapter 10, we're going to continue through the Gospel of Mark. I hope this has been a blessing to you as we do this throughout the year. Um, I'm going to read that um, challenging passage, Jesus and the crowds and the Pharisees, another Phar- exchange with the Pharisees. So uh, let's read through that, Mark chapter 10. Jesus then left that place, he was uh, in Capernaum, and went into the region of Judea and across to Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Um, What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus, I love Jesus. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, and he answered them, Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So, Father, we just commit this time to you. Thank you for all that you are doing. Thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for your presence here today. And we just lean into you. Um, We direct our attention and our affection towards you that as we spend time in your word, um, we wouldn't just grow in head knowledge, we'd grow in heart knowledge. We'd grow in our love and admiration and appreciation of who you are and all that you've done. Holy Spirit, come. You are welcome in this place. Come and reveal your truth to us as we spend time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This uh, passage is paralleled in Matthew 19 with some slight variations, but um, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew does have a similar encounter of Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the crowd about marriage and divorce. Um, if I asked you to describe the best wedding you've ever been to, would you pick your own? Oh, well, there's, a, there's a bit of apprehension. I'm not really sure. We would, I mean, everybody would do theirs differently. We would do ours differently, wouldn't we, if we got married again? We got married last millennium. That makes us old. Yeah, really old. Uh, we got married more than 20 years ago. And we've been, to some, uh, we've been to some different weddings. We've been to a wedding of 10 in the National Park. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> Still hanging out for their wedding reception, eventually. Um, We've been to a, a wedding where we had, is it line dancing or square dancing? What did we do? Bush dancing? Oh, sorry, I don't want to get it wrong. Had some bush dancing. Um, that was fun. Uh, Narelle and I have been to a Lebanese wedding. Like you haven't lived until you've been to a Lebanese wedding. It was a stinking hot 
Adelaide January day, the smallest chapel you've ever been in, it probably was about the size of this, more incense than I don't know what, and it was packed. And it was really interesting because we went, we dressed up, you know, you dress up for the wedding and you go, and we were standing at the back and it was packed in and a half of it we did not know what was actually happening. Um, but they got married. Uh, packed in and there was people kind of dressed like this, like fairly kind of casual but nicely. And we're like, oh, maybe they don't really dress up for this. And I was like, babe, it's so hot. Like, we should go home and get changed. Obviously, this isn't a dress-up affair. No, no, no. They just... Most of them just show up in casual for the wedding and then get dressed up for the reception, like ball gown reception. It was big, it was elaborate, it was, it was massive. I don't know if you've been to a European wedding, I don't know if all European weddings are like this, but this was massive. And anyway, there's a time, you know, incredible food and we were there, um, it was one of my work colleagues from years ago and we were at a table and spending time with some other work friends um, and then there was a time of dancing um, and the bride and groom are dancing and then one of the uncles comes out and starts peeling off like 50 and $100 notes over the bride and groom. And I was like, babe, we should get married again. <laughs> you know that long lost Lebanese uncle that we never hear from? We didn't get in touch and actually we can skip the wedding, let's go straight to the reception. But um, like that was, I was, I was, I probably sat there with my mouth open the whole time. So we've kind of been to the whole gamut of weddings. We've been to some beautiful weddings and some um, not so beautiful weddings. Um, I've actually, I've led weddings. I've messed up weddings. I've left songs out of weddings. Um, and that's why I've got like notes after notes. I've never forgotten the vows at a wedding. I've never forgotten the important bit. I've always made sure get the marriage, sign the paperwork, got that done. Um, photographing weddings, that's, that's a whole other beast, that's for sure, and you see some interesting things when you get to photograph people and the bride and groom are consuming alcohol at, before lunch. And it just amazes me, the gamut, like this simple, what we might think is a simple thing, we talk about marriage. There's, there's like a whole spectrum of the wedding. And this is part of it, when I was getting ready for today, I think we spend so much time thinking and talking about and getting ready for the wedding, but not a lot for the marriage. But the wedding is like a day or some cultures might be a week. Um, but the marriage is like, should be for the rest of our lives. But there's often, I, mean, I think it's changing, there's often not a lot of conversation about getting ready for for the marriage, but more so we get ready for the wedding. We spend extraordinary amounts of money on weddings, like thousands, thousands of dollars um, to make them these elaborate affairs that last but a day. And then we don't often or don't always consider um, how we're going to spend the rest of the time after the wedding day. Part of the shift is more couples, the majority, like nearly 80% of people are cohabitating before they get married. Um, which was kind of wowed me when I saw that. But it just strikes me that there is such a variety in our understanding of not only the weddings, which can be fun, but also marriage, which can be fun, but also that's where the hard work really happens, isn't it? Most of us 
um, in here are married, have been married, are in a family of marriage. And, I, and preparing for this too, I'm mindful that this is really kind of a sensitive topic. Most of us would know people whose marriages have ended. Um, they said the stats around 30 to 40% of marriages in Australia finish in divorce. Um, the marriage rate has remained the same. Um, divorce rate escalated in the 70s when no-fault divorce was legalised, which meant that you didn't actually have to have a reason to get divorced, but you still needed a 12-month time of separation, and then it eased off. Um, so it's just under two people per thousand that get divorced, which is still high, which is still high. So, uh, like, and I didn't want to kind of go into all the stats of marriage and divorce, but um, as I was getting ready for today, it was just fascinating to look at where we sit. We're not the country with the highest rate of divorce. There are other countries. We're not the lowest. Um, but it's easy to kind of look at it at a general level, at a numbers level, at a national level, and actually forget that at the heart of every marriage and at the heart of every divorce are humans, are people, are, are men and women, and often children, more often than not, children involved um, in what's taking place, the joy of marriage or the heartbreak of divorce. And I was really mindful of reading this that everyone, to a different extent, to a different level, will have perhaps an emotional response to what the teaching is here. So I'm, I just want to encourage you in that. And look, I don't have all the answers. Um, I couldn't go into the depths of everything about marriage and divorce this morning, but this is um, an ongoing conversation. And just for anybody, you know, if you are married and you're going well, awesome. Surround yourself with people who can encourage you in that. If you are married and it's not going so well, find somebody who is ahead of you in the game and can actually encourage you, who can challenge you, who can listen to you, who can spur you on. If you're thinking about divorce but you're not divorced, find people who can actually help you and counsel you. Don't go it alone. I hear so many stories of couples that get divorced without actually seeking wise counsel from somebody else. So, no, this is, a, this is a, an aspect of community. And if you are divorced and um, you were married and you are divorced and you've been through that, um, and I haven't been through it, I don't know the pain and the heartache, I've seen that in other people, but I just want to express grace and mercy and the love of God to each and every person, no matter where they're at in this journey. Um, because we need to be having the conversation and we need to share the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where people are at. Amen? Amen. So back to this passage. Um, that was more than I was uh, going to share in there, but that's okay. So the Pharisees, we've talked before about the Pharisees. They are not lovers of Jesus because Jesus is messing up their status quo um, and the Pharisees have their rules and regulations that they want to keep and that they want to abide by. And you see here they come to him, verse, uh, verse 2, and they test him. Same word test is the same word that it, when Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan comes to test him, it's the same word. The Pharisees are coming to test him, put him to the test. And the Pharisees ask the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Notice they don't ask if it's lawful for people to get a divorce, for a couple to get a divorce. They ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus says, what did Moses command you? Notice the difference. Jesus says, what did Moses command you? And they respond, Moses permitted a man to to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. So Jesus is already highlighting. He says, what's the command? What is the command that you have been given regarding marriage and divorce? And there isn't one. 
There isn't. There's commands about honouring your mother and father, which um, implies marriage and family and household, but there isn't a command about divorce. There is a rule that Moses gives to the people, which um, they both allude to, and that is in Deuteronomy 24. This is the law that Moses gives to the people of Israel a, few, a couple of thousand years beforehand. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be de detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Sorry, I got a bit lost because that is nearly all one sentence. That's intense. So this is the only instruction that they're given through Mosaic law about what they can do with divorce. The only one. And Jesus says, Moses gave that to you not as um, permission, but as um, almost as a compromise because your hearts were hard. And people look at it and go, wow, this is really mean. Like the man can just send the wife away. Um, so they didn't need a legal system. They didn't have courts that would decide for them. The man could send his wife away. And people look at it and go, wow, that's really harsh. Keep in mind, the Israelites have come out of Egypt where they've seen all sorts of weird treatment of wives and women and not always held in high regard. And Moses in this law and God through this actually says, no, you can't just treat women like property. If you're going to send them away, you need to give them a certificate of divorce saying you release them from the marriage covenant and often it would mean they'd have to return the dowry that they might have received and then send them away so that they wouldn't actually bring shame on them. And so this is what the Pharisees point to and they say, well, this is the law that Moses gave us. This is what we're going on here. And Jesus says, actually, there's something that trumps that. And he refers right back to the very beginning. And this is how I can lean on the creation story because Jesus refers to it. Um, Genesis chapter 2. We're flicking through a, a few different scriptures, I know. Uh, Genesis, sorry, Genesis chapter 1, Jesus quotes both of these, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So Jesus alludes to the fact that males and females are distinct creations, but made by the one God. And then um, he pairs it up with... Uh, Chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, oh, sorry, I'll backpedal a little bit um, to verse 22. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, this is what Jesus refers to, this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So Jesus points at this and says, guys, you've actually got it all wrong. You'd be referring to Mosaic law, but there's actually a greater command that trumps the law that you're referring to, and this is what you need to hold on to when you want to talk about marriage and divorce. The amazing thing is that 
Adam communed with the Lord in the Garden of Eden. And I think we've talked about this before, but this is kind of, this is um, the significance and the importance of marriage and family right here established in the Garden of Eden. So you have Adam, God's own creation, made in the image and the likeness of God, who gets to spend time one-on-one with the Lord in the Garden of Eden. And God looks, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, I don't have it up there. Uh, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Man gets to spend time one-on-one with the Lord and the Lord says it's not good for him to be alone. He needs, he needs help. This guy cannot go it alone. And so men have been getting married to smart, wise women ever since because we all need help. I'll leave it right there. Um, <laughs> and so God makes woman as a helper for man. Now, I want to highlight the helper is not a servant. Now, you'll see this word helper. I'm going off a little bit off track, but this is really important to highlight why, why Jesus refers to this. Helper is used a couple of times to refer to the woman throughout the Old Testament. This word for helper is a couple of times used for woman. Every other time, it refers to God as our help. You read through the Psalms and it talks about the Lord being our help. Same word. So God in his infinite wisdom says, this man is not going to go well at all if I leave him by himself. Even if it's just me and him, he needs needs help. Creates a woman as helper, almost as as one who who is like man, but distinctly different, who also represents God with man. God to man to actually help him and encourage him and strengthen him and comfort him. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I think that is incredible, that th- just God's design that he would um, do that and, and create us to be like that. The man and his wife, uh, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame. And that for me is actually like a, we should read that verse at weddings. Like 1 Corinthians 13, massive. Everybody, not everybody, lots of people read 1 Corinthians 13. We should read that, that you should actually be able to be fully naked, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and spiritually naked with your spouse and feel no shame. It should actually be the safest place because it's meant to be the closest human representation of our our relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? So in marriage, we have some indicator of what our relationship with the Lord should be like. That there should be no shame, that there should be no hiding, there should be no guilt, there should be no remorse. So this is what Jesus points to and he says, actually, this is God's plan. Why are you trying to mess with God's plan and find a way? Um, And then he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. There's nothing more from the Pharisees there but uh, Jesus is quizzed by the disciples when they go back inside. And he says to them, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And this, is, this would have been radical. This next sentence would have been radical for them. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. 
Now, we can, I haven't gotten a lot into um, divorce and remarriage and, and adultery because um, that's kind of a series in itself really to kind of explore that and all the different aspects of that um, and what that looks like. But Jewish law did not permit the woman to divorce the man. And here Jesus in one statement says, all right, things are changing. If she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. And the idea here isn't to give permission for divorce. The idea is that people stay married. Like this is actually the highest goal. And so Jesus is looking to institute this. Um, for the Jews, it wasn't, it wasn't custom. There were some high-class Jews that would, where the woman would get divorced from the, the man. The Greeks and the Romans were quite a common practice, but not for the Jews. So Jesus um, says this um, in a way that the woman can divorce the husband. In Matthew, he highlights that it's only the, the one reason that Jesus highlights why a couple should get divorced is through sexual immorality. And that's... Like that's what I talk about. We could go down that whole path about exploring that. Um, and to be clear, like if there is abuse on any level, then there's no reason to stay married, that we seek help, that we get advice, that we get wise counsel. We don't stay in an abusive situation. And I think actually abuse is um, akin to sexual immorality as well. Um, and that's what I say, that there's so many different aspects to it um, that... I'm not going to do it justice, but I do want to say that we need to be wise about the conversations that we have. And like I said earlier, there is, there is people and husbands and wives and children at the heart of every conversation about marriage and divorce. And we need to be having wise, caring, um, compassionate conversations as we explore this. Uh, let's turn to um, Ephesians chapter 5. And this is the part where Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and actually talks about wives treating their husbands and husbands treating their wives and how they should treat one another. Um, and then he gets to this point um, that I want to get to. The other point that I want to make um, was just a little bit of a, a public service announcement. I think one of the injustices that we do to people is to always ask them about the next stage of life. So let me explain. When someone starts dating... What's almost the next question that we ask them? When are you getting married? Did you get that? Did people ask you about that when you started dating? Just throw you under the bus. You get married, what's the next question? When are you having a baby? I don't know what comes after. Well, I don't know what the next question is after. When, well, I think it's when are you having another one. It's like... But I... Like, can we stop doing that? Because I think that puts pressure on people to always be thinking that, oh, this isn't enough. Like, I've got to be at the next thing. And it might be lighthearted and it might be a bit of a joke. And, yeah, I confess, I've probably done it at times as well. I've tried to not do it as much. But my sense is, and I was, just, I was really heavy about it preparing for this, is like every time we ask that question, it says, where you are isn't enough. And there's more people. People are getting married later in life. Christians and non-Christians, people are getting married later in life. Depends on where you look and timing and everything. And I think when we ask that question, it says where you are isn't enough and you need to be thinking, you need to be at the next stage. And then once they get to the next stage, you need to be at the next stage. 
or you need to be at the next stage. It's like, hang on a sec. And for some people, they might not ever get married. They might be single for the entirety of their lives and that's something that they have to work out. And there's, that might be something between them and the Lord or they might not find somebody that they can marry. Some people might not be able to have children. And so when we bowl up and say, hey, when are you going to have a baby? It's like, wow, that might actually cut really deep. Instead, we might say, you know, tell us about your family. Or tell us about your dreams. Or how are you going? Can we do that? Good. That was just a freebie. You're welcome. Ephesians 5. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, and um, this is kind of uh, a passage that probably gets preached quite often about marriages and husbands and wives and um, how wives should treat their husbands and husbands should treat their wives. Husbands, this is verse 25 in Ephesians, I don't have it up there. Just as Christ, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There is a weightiness about marriage that we cannot underestimate. When the man is actually meant to love his wife as Christ loved the church, just, just sit with that for a minute and go, okay, like Christ died for the world and instituted the church. What does it look like, husbands, for us to die to ourselves that we might actually um, bless our wives in that way as Christ blesses the church? Further down, Paul continues to write in verse 32. So he's talked about wives and then husbands. And then he says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he's... Um, again referred to the Genesis passage where um, um, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's a profound mystery, Paul says. Paul, incredibly wise guy, very smart scholar. This is a mystery. But I'm not talking about marriage, he says. I'm talking about Christ and the church. But for up to this point, he's been talking about husbands and wives. And then he says that is actually a reflection of Christ and the church. And so in marriage, we have something that symbolizes the relationship between God and humankind and Christ and the church. And anytime we actually seek to fracture that through sexual immorality, through divorce, through abuse, whatever it might be, however it might take place, we are actually um, fracturing the way that we present Christ and the church to the world around us. And the church is not immune to this. Christians are not immune to this. And this is why we need to be deep in community, that we can actually be surrounded with people who can support and encourage us, who can um, cheer us on, who can help us to walk this out. Verse 33, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. The best way to do that is to actually see each other as Christ sees them and to represent Christ to our spouses and for the world to see that this is Christ and his church at work is actually through our marriages. And that's the way that we can actually, one of the ways that we can represent Christ to the world through the kind of godly marriages that we have. Because godly marriages create godly families 
and godly families is what leads to strong, healthy communities. And through strong, healthy communities, we get to be a part of changing the world. Uh, Ruth Graham, the wife of the late, great Billy Graham, incredible man, incredible evangelist, was asked once um, in talking about marriage and love and relationship with Billy and, and life with him. Uh, she was asked one time um, if she'd ever considered divorce. And she kind of chuckled and said, divorce, never. Murder, sometimes. And I'm like, That's, it's a terrible joke. I think she said it with a twinkle in her eye, but like Billy would be intense. Um, we're all intense on different ways. Like as soon as, as soon as divorce becomes an option, it's an option. It's on the table. Um, and we have to do. Um, I think we are, and I think we're working on it. I think we're improving on it. I think we can still work on improving how we actually encouraged people in their marriages and in their relationships. So the divorce doesn't become an option. Like I said, I know there's, there's always exceptions. There's always cases where it's like that is, that's what's required. That's what's needed. I understand. But for the most part, for the most part, we need to do work at reinforcing our marriages, reinforcing these relationships, these core relationships that actually reflect the likeness of God in who he is and what he's like and his love for humankind so that we can support and grow these marriages and reflect Christ to the world. I'll say, I'll say this, um, one of the reasons that community is so necessary, healthy community, is because to an extent, divorce is a social disease. What do I mean by that? Um, the, the likelihood, in someone in your social circle gets divorced, the chances of other people in that social circle getting divorced increases dramatically, like 75%. And then even to the people in the next social circle, so the friends of friends of people that get divorced, the chances of people in that social circle getting divorced go up. I say that to heighten our awareness and to help us concentrate, to direct our attention to creating healthy communities and safe places where people can be um, naked and unashamed. And I don't mean physically naked in a group setting. Like We're still continuing the Love After Marriage workshop this afternoon. And it's a place where people can be completely vulnerable with every aspect of their lives and their relationships with their spouses and often for the first time with their group in a safe place. We as the church need to be about the work of creating safe places where people don't have to feel guilt and shame, but they can actually come and say, this is the good, the bad and the ugly and the everything in between. So that we can actually be the um, social, dare I say, vaccine to the disease of divorce. Does that make sense? 
Like this is actually part of our call as the body of Christ. This is one of the ways that we get to represent him and to share his love with the world around us by creating strong, healthy families through strong, healthy marriages. Can we stand as I pray? I want to pray for a couple of different ways, including for you watching online. If you want to stand where you are, and I know that was um, messy and there's so many different aspects to, to marriage and divorce. So, Father, I'm, just, I'm asking for um, a rekindling of our first love, our first love for you, Lord. And for each and every uh, couple who are married, that there would be a... A, a season of going deeper in their relationship with you and a relationship with each other. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we stand against shame and guilt and fear. Lord, you've not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of power and love and of sound mind. I just want to speak that over each and every person in this room and watching online today, Lord, that in this next season that our marriages would grow stronger and that for marriages that are strained right now, Lord, whether that's because of being in lockdown, because of restrictions, or whatever the reason might be, that there would be a healing, there would be um, a nourishment that comes to that marriage, that they would rediscover their um, passion for one another, their passion for you, Lord. And God, I want to pray for anybody who is right now um, thinking that divorce is the only way. Lord, that there would be people around them who would speak love and wisdom to them, that they would support and encourage them and walk through that journey with them. And finally, Lord, for people who have been divorced, who, who are divorced, who have been married and now no longer have that relationship, I pray for your healing in their spirit, soul and body, that if there's forgiveness required, that you would pour out a spirit of forgiveness in their lives that if the relationship can be re reconciled, that you would make a way, Lord, where there seems no way. Where there is disharmony, there would be peace, Lord, peace that surpasses understanding. God, I pray that we as your body, we as the Horsham Church of Christ, we as the Christian church in this region, that we would love people where we would love people into healthy relationships. That we would be a safe place where people say, our marriage isn't great, our marriage is just... It's just cohabiting now that people could actually come and say that's what's happening and that this would be a safe place for us to cheer them on and encourage them to point people to you that they would know your healing power. Jesus, you are the groom and we are your bride. We thank you that you gave your life, that we could have life forever with our Heavenly Father. Help us, every single one of us, Lord, to live the life that you have called us to live, to reflect your glory, your kindness and your love to the people in the world around us. Amen.